One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Institute for the Fat, Weird, Queer, Mental and Lost and Gravy Lovers. My name is Scotty. You lot are a sandwich short of a picnic and this is After the Tone. If you're new round to these parts, welcome to the inside of England's last remaining answer machine. Now, listen, it won't make any sense, but neither do we. So get over yourself, get yourself a brew and settle in for 40 minutes of this, that and the other. This time on ATT, it's a masturbation special, supposedly. <laughs> But get the sick bucket ready because apparently there's also some disgusting food habits on the way. So, right, to business, please. This week, I am sharing the hot seat with... Well, because actually, contrary to popular belief, I'm actually a really nice person. Okay, so I don't mind sharing. So this week, everybody's favourite Solly Hall mum, amateur painter, amateur gardener, and some might say amateur comedian, but not me because I'm a nice person. She's on the telly, so don't be nasty, please. Welcome to the stage, Joe Lysett. I'm in the masturbation special, where I belong. <laughs> Have you ever said that before? I'm sure I've said something similar. <laughs> now, I, I'm thrilled to be part of the masturbation special. In lockdown, I lived on my own and I became quite the, uh, let's go with expert. <laughs> Can you be an expert of masturbation? Well, I think you can be a connoisseur, shall we say. And aren't you just, dear? <laughs> I am, dear. I've seen some internet forums that called you a wanker, but I didn't know it was in, in that ilk, dear. So now, listen. You, first you run point... those forums, don't you? <laughs> You're the moderator. Listen, I've got some questions to get through here because it is a very professional gig. We are also on the BBC. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Question number one, please. Have you ever listened to the podcast? Be honest. No. How long have I known you for? 
A long time. And I a long time. Listened. And you've had telly programs that I've watched. You've had books that I've had to put myself through. I've listened to your fucking po- I've got one poxy fucking <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and you can't even be fucking to... Yeah, all right. Two, do you have a lawyer? No, I don't have a dedicated lawyer. I have worked <laughs> with lawyers. But no, I don't have like... I don't have one in the house. <laughs> Because you like, I mean, you've come close, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I think I'm still close. I'm always a bit close. <laughs> Speaking of the masturbation special, <laughs> I'm always close. I'm, I basically edge my entire career <laughs> at all times. Professional edger. <laughs> uh, question number three, please, very specifically, what are your thoughts on gravy? Oh, I love gravy. I would say I'm a connoisseur of gravy as well, actually. I'm not a fan of a jus. I'm not a fan of a peppercorn sauce. I want a thick, meaty gravy. Well, and that's why I'm here. Now, we've got a question from a listener in Wolverhampton. Her name's Pauline. And she says, have you ever had orange chips, Joe? Orange chips? Apparently it's the dumb thing in the black country. Well, this reveals how little time I've spent in the black country, because no, I haven't. And it is the first I've heard of it. What I have heard is that in the black country, they eat raw sausages. That's a true story. I'm not talking like, you know, high pork content. I'm talking like a bag of Richmond's. They're smashing them in. Raw. There you go. They've also got faggots as well, haven't they, around those parts? Question number five is from Jack from the internet, who wanted me to ask you, what makes a good bin and do you have a favourite bin? Mm. What makes a good bin? You want it to be characterful. You want it to be, you know, there's lots of, you know, boring bins around. But um, for me, I, I like a graphic-y sort of solid shape. So I'm not interested in like this sort of stuff. Wicker basket bin, no thanks. I want a nice solid block shape. And if there's some sort of smooth contouring going on, I'm a big fan of that. I would say probably a dog poo bin is my favourite, but uh, specifically the bins at Borough Market because they've got two coffee cup holes and, and a little sort of circular, sort of semicircular shape and they look like they're smiling. Oh, that's lovely. I think I would go with the dog bin as well because they always seem to be at a more amenable height they're always on the, a stick, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. They're slightly higher up, so there's no bending involved. Although, yeah. how do you feel about one of those automatic bins that you sort of wave your hand in front and then it opens? Uh, yeah, I'm not averse to that. Fine. Good. Okay, so we've covered your thoughts on bins, raw sausages and gravy. I think it's time to head to the calls. So, how this works is we're going to hear voice notes from the general public and then we get to share our thoughts and feelings. Why, Joe? Because we're better than them. Okay? that's We why. are. No, I, well, yeah, they're what I would call muggles. <laughs> and we are... Um, Better than that, really. Wizards? Are we wizards? We're connoisseurs, supposedly. It's connoisseurs, the, the, we're connoisseurs, yeah. The word of the day. Um, can you confirm for the tape that you have no idea what's about to be thrown at you? I can confirm that, yes. Many thanks. Uh, neither do I. Apparently, that's the joy of it. So, producer Deb, give us what you've got. Scott Ian, is it Mama Lysette there with you this week? Kara here. Thank you for last week. Everything you said. Yeah, but very heard and and seen, and you you get it. Just in the diaries of Kara, like just when you think you've seen it all, and and it can't get any more horrendous. Well, basically, how do I set the scene? 
to be clear, you need to be aware of a lot of stuff, you know, sometimes the element of change in routine for her, or is there any change in her behaviour? Because we're obviously dealing with dementia, Alzheimer's, urinary infections, possible strokes, all of this going on, you know, so elements, there's always a watching in her madness to work through what something's maybe happening and even her ability to communicate if there is a sort of pain or an uncomfort. So the other night, oh, so I'm glad I'm telling somebody this. So I was pulling out the rubbish, doing the usual bits, thought like anything late at night, go up the stairs and my mum's room's right by the front door, always has been, so and she has the door open all the time. So she and as I walked past her, she was laying in the bed but in a really weird position, really wide eyed, and one leg was right out the bed. And as I put the bins down, I was really like, Oh fuck, has she had a stroke? And to be honest, first thing I did was like, Yes, she said a stroke. Oh my god, here we go. And then I was like, oh, God, what are they? So I wandered back in. She's laying there, and I walked in, and I goes, Mum. And she's like, aye. And I goes, are you all right? And she's like, aye. And then I was like, no, she's got one hand really sort of down under the sheets. And I goes, are you, are you sure you're all right, darling? Are you, are you, what are you doing? And she's like, she's aye, I'm fine. I'm playing with myself. And I was like, what? Well, what do you mean playing alone? Is it sore? And she's like, no, it's no snore. It's really nice. <laughs> and I don't think I've, I haven't felt that mortified in a long, long time. And I think <laughs> all I could do, I literally was like rabbit in headlights, walk downstairs and just burst out laughing. I was just like, what the hell? Yes, girl. No, it's nice. There's <laughs> a lot to unpack there, isn't there? <laughs> so this is the carer who has been with us since day one, who um, <clears throat> his namesake is because he is a full-time carer for his mum, and so we get updates <laughs> on where his mum's at. And, uh, yeah, I mean, his mum was at it <laughs> this week. <laughs> Well, Joe I said, as you said at the top of the show, you said you were a, a wanking connoisseur, right? Yeah. I you can uh, relate to this content. Weirdly, in a way, yes, I can. Uh, <laughs> I haven't walked in on my mother. She doesn't have dementia that I know of, so I can't relate to a lot of the elements of it. But it is interesting. I don't know if you've watched Succession, but there's a scene in Succession where the father, he's had some sort of, um, I think he's had like a mini stroke or something. And he starts wanking, looking at his own daughter. And I think it's quite common that when you've got, you know, dementia or these sorts of conditions, that you forget who your family members are, but you're mm. still a sexual being. And so mm. these things get confused. And I think that's like, it's so, I imagine so difficult if you're on the receiving end, for want of a better term, of that <laughs> how to deal with that so I think the best way to deal with it is to send a, a voice note into into your podcast <laughs> I think that's a really healthy way of responding to it but I've got I've, I've had friends who've had similar situations where they've had um parents with dementia and uh one of my friends is saying they're going through old photographs and their parent I'll be sort of cryptic about genders or whatever so that um they can't be identified but their parents said oh who's that they're very attractive and it was them and they completely freaked out of course but it, I suppose it's uh, it's illuminating in 
some ways about what sexuality is, isn't it? And mm. how sexuality can be so um, sort of multi-layered and how based in memory it is, an understanding of sort of rules and structures. And once those rules and structures have been removed, how sexuality can just sort of go off in all sorts of wild directions. But also I really love where the embarrassment is placed here, right? Because I think in the society that we grow up in, that this idea of being caught masturbating or being caught like self-experimenting, that you would feel like you would be absolutely mortified. But the carer tells us that he's the one with the embarrassment. Like, he's just mortified because it's his mum. Like, she has no shame, you know. She's just like, this is just something that I am doing. Yes. And that's sort of brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's... it's it's a shame in one sense because I imagine non-dementia version of her would probably not behave in that way, but she's just in a sort of different era, I suppose, of her life. Mm. And in that moment, the dementia doesn't really matter because she's having a lovely time. I'm very happy for her in that moment. I just <laughs> Treat yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, have you ever been caught in the act? I don't think so, you know. I only do it between sort of very specific hours, normally... Normally sort of 1 and 2 a.m. And behind three iron doors. Um, And also, I've got this smartwatch. This is my uh, smartwatch, but it doesn't look like a smartwatch. But it's a bit like an Apple watch, but like a kind of cheaper version. And it predicts what exercises you're doing. So if you go for a jog, it says, you go on the app and it says, did you go for a jog for 20 minutes? And you go, oh, yes, I did. When I have a wank, it thinks I'm playing volleyball. Did you do 15 minutes of volleyball at 1am? Yeah, let's go with yes. (laughs) Just before bed. Do you do much volleyball? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'd say I'm sort of... um, I'm playing volleyball probably once every couple of days, I'd say. Fair enough. And on that note, I think we should move on to our next goal. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) Hey, Scotty. First time caller, long time lurker, Candice from Manchester. I was just listening to the latest podcast and really struck a chord with me what you were saying about carers and challenges. And I lost my grandma um, in January of this year. She reached the grand old age of 90, but she had a fantastic life. Uh, She quite often would say that she could write a book about her life and all of the things that she used to get up to, which came in quite useful um, when we had to do the eulogy. But yeah, she she actually lived um, in Spain for many years and came back about 13, 14 years ago and spent 10 years living with my mum and my stepdad and my brother, which was quite stressful at times especially for my mum. She was, you know, her main carer and it was quite a thankless task at times. And I think it was a struggle really for my mum, you know, wanting to be there for a mum, wanting to do the right thing, but also feeling like someone's servant at times. It was very difficult. And definitely as my gran got older and as well as my mum getting older, it was becoming more and more difficult and having starting to have those discussions about, okay, well, when is the point that, you know, it's no longer for you to care for her and we move her into a nursing home. Sadly, that decision was taken up out of our hands. She suffered from three heart attacks and went into hospital about three years ago. We were only given four weeks to live. 
But then she lasted another three years on top of that, which was amazing. She was in a care, a fantastic care home at that time. And I feel really lucky and privileged that we got to spend those extra three years with her. And and for my mum, it meant that she could let go some of that resentment that she had of that time of caring and actually just grew to love her mum even more, which was fantastic. So I know it's a difficult decision at times on when, you know, that you take that next step with them. And thankfully, as I say, you know, the decision was taken out of our hands. Thank you for listening today and um, rest in peace, Marjorie Moncaster. Bye. Wow. Oh, that's sweet. First time call a badge hitting its way to you, please, Candice, in Manchesterford. Lovely to have you in the room just down the road. Yeah. Sweet, lovely little, like, I just want to, like, mark who my nan was. Yeah, I really loved that. I also thought that was really interesting about that sense of, and, and your previous caller as well, the honesty of your callers about the stresses and strains of being a carer. I did, in a much smaller way, did a bit of caring for a friend of mine who died a couple of years, three years ago now, and um, I really resonated with what both of them said about your first caller um, about the, that sense of like, he thought that she had a stroke and he was sort of delighted by that. He was like, finally, there's an end to this. And obviously that on paper is a sort of a cruel and horrible thought, but actually I had similar things and my friend clung on for way longer than the doctors said he would. Uh, you know, he was given hours to live at one point and he lasted months afterwards and you're in this constant state of like is it now oh no okay fine and trying to like live your life around that sort of Mm. uh energy is really tricky but ultimately that comes from a place of like wanting that individual like it's not like you want that individual to die you just want that individual to be like in the most pain-free like caring environment but also i think like for me i can't comment for your your callers like it was there was something selfish about it like i was like I'm I'm over this situation. <laughs> like this is stressful. This is very bleak. I'm over it. Like you know, uh, I can't see this getting any better. It's that sort of thing when you know, like a situation's going, like in a less serious way. You know that you, I'm doing a painting and it's going badly. At some point, you just have to make the decision. Right, it's got to go next, and you can't. You don't have that choice in that situation. But I've de- definitely got that mind of like next, please, and actually having. <laughs> Having that, did she say it was uh, three years where yeah. she she was no longer caring for her? So what a, an unusual but brilliant gift. Yeah, but also be told you've got four weeks to live and then you live for three years. Yeah. Can you imagine if you're that person, you're like, still here, still yeah. fucking going. <laughs> yeah. Fucked a lot yeah. of years. Yeah, exactly. I think doctors, like, just lower your expectations, really. I think they know <laughs> there's a chance. So if you ever hear you've got days to live, it probably means at least 10 years. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm partnered with somebody who's in the NHS just because I felt like I should be doing my bit for the country. Yeah, now, yeah. Now, I quite occasionally I'll say, how does this work? How does this work? And when you ask them, they haven't got a fucking clue. No. I asked them, how does paracetamol work? And they were like, we don't really know, but mm. it just does. So yeah. I think it's all fucking guesswork. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely guesswork. Yeah. We don't need to be paying for all of that training. <laughs> Our bloody taxes going on training doctors. No thanks. No thank you. A waste of money. <laughs> just grind up some paracetamol, chuck it at whoever and say you've got two days to live. 
and they'll be <laughs> delighted when they live no longer. That's my approach. <laughs> well, I think with that, that's a manifesto. You should be running for Parliament for the next term, dear. I'm announcing it here. <laughs> it's an ATT exclusive. It certainly um, is. <laughs> and on that note, let's move on to the next chat. Hi, Scotty, producer Deb, Tim Katmeyer, and everybody down the pub. I wonder if you can settle something for me on the topic of strange food and, I guess, strange eating habits. Uh, my lovely partner, the softest and most gentle person I've ever met, just told me sincerely with their whole chest that their favourite part of a kiwi is the skin. So that's weird, right? Like, or am I being a closed minded kiwi bigot? I don't know. All right. Love to everyone. Bye. Now, I've said this once and I'll say this again. If you are going to call into the podcast, because we do like to make out that we are sort of a professional outfit. Could you please, <laughs> can you not fucking call when there's a gale force fucking wind going off outside? Thank you very much. Now, on the subjects of kiwi, uh, Joe Lysett, do you have any strong thoughts or feelings about eating of the kiwi skin? Scotty, have, can I ask you a question? Have you ever eaten a kiwi skin? Uh, not on purpose. I don't think so. Well, I would urge you to give it a go. I um, I read it. This is years and years ago. I read somewhere that it's perfectly edible. It's perfectly fine. It's like the skin of an apple. You know, it's not going to do you any harm. It's high fiber, whatever. And I was pleasantly surprised. You know that sensation of when you put a skip. You know the um the the crisp skip or the the potato snack the skip, and it sort of seals to your tongue a little bit, and it's got like a kind of an unusual texture. They're not the same, but there's something similar about it. There's something nice about a slightly coarse texture on your tongue, and then the lovely, juicy, creamy, kiwi sort of texture. And the in- I really want a kiwi now. I'm sort of perturbed that you described a kiwi as creamy. I would never use that word to describe a kiwi. I don't know. It's sort of, there's something creamy-ish about the texture of a kiwi. Absolutely not. You're lying. What words would you prefer? Acerbic. Yeah, there you go. Ten points for me. No, that was a big word. No, hang on. That's a, that's more of a flavour rather than a texture, I would say. An acerbic texture. Oh, what are you? Fucking cat, Dan Police. Dictionary corner. Yes, well, you know, you, you pulled me up on it. I would like to know the one word, please, to describe the texture of a kiwi. Citric. Oh, no, that's no, still the That's te- not a texture. It's not um, a texture. I mean, I can't give you one word, but I'll give you a sensation. A kiwi is like two days after you've shaved your balls. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah? Okay. Fair so enough. I don't know what the bo- bollocked. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit the texture of bollocked. <laughs> yeah. Supposedly, okay. Kiwi's got the most vitamin C in anything. Yeah, lovely. Great. I don't know why you just accepted that as a fact. I just purely lied. Well, it sounds feasible to me. I also feel like the skin, now I'm thinking about it, has some additional nutrition in it as well. So. I think there was someone, when they were talking about eating it, saying that actually it's really good for you in certain ways. So I'm on board with the kiwi skin eating, actually, and I think everyone should give it a go. You don't know until you try, do you? you, don't know until well, you try. do you know what? I'm going to look it up, Joe Lysett. Should you, on the internet, eat kiwi skin? Here we go. You should always ask the internet what you should eat. <laughs> also known as a Chinese gooseberry. Did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Technically, the skin is edible, but some people dislike it because of its fuzzy texture. Yeah, the skin exactly. 
is very nutritious in fibre, foliate and vitamin E. Lovely. There you go. So you were actually right. You weren't just making it up. Yep. Uh, well, I ate it and I didn't die. Yet. You've got four years to live. Yeah. Which means, by doctor's standards, I'm going to live to 300. Hey, Scotty. Hi, producer Deb and the rest of the ATT crew. I just want to piggyback on, you know, drinking vinegar. My sister used to do it. She used to pour so much vinegar on the plate just so she could lick it off. And then, yeah, it got so bad that my mum ended up having to get her own bottle. But that's not even the worst of the things that she actually did. She used to eat crisp in the most disgusting way. She used to um, basically find the two biggest crisps. And then she would chew the rest and then like regurgitate that on in between the two crisps and then eat it like a sandwich. But it was so disgusting because she could like, she just did it anywhere. Like all the saliva and crisps mixed together in between the two crisps. It was just vile. But yeah. And I did grow up in the, the north of England. So that probably supports your vinegar drinking claim. Oh, God, people from the north of England, eh? <laughs> Regurgitating crisp sandwich. Have you ever heard of something so hideous in your life? It's interesting to me that someone wanking in front of their son, someone saying that they wished their parent or grandparent who was dying is dead, all of that I'm on board with. But what I just heard has pushed me into fascism, I would say. Isn't it vile? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's one of the worst things I've ever heard, Scotty. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it's the word regurgitated that really hit me. Like a bird sandwich. <laughs> a bird's, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> but, OK, let's go with the thought and the logic. Would there be... Stick with me here, please, Joe Lysett from the television. Would there be any flavour crisp or brand of crisp that you would potentially try this technique out on no i don't think so (laughs) i think it's i think the point when you're like spitting it back onto a crisp you're spitting a crisp onto a crisp i think at that point that's when (laughs) what's happened what's happened i've broken this is the thing that's broken me down i don't know what i don't know what to make of life I feel like the act of that is this, it's sort of so pathetic, isn't it? Like spitting Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it was that at that point that you realised. Yeah. Um, in terms of the vinegar <laughs> drinking, I don't want to <laughs> overlook that either. You know, no, because... of course. Well, they say it's good to eat, uh, drink apple cider vinegar, don't they? With the mother in it. It has to have the mother in it. Um, I did that for a while and I felt shit on it. So I think. <laughs> Another bit of bollocks that they probably teach at doctor school or whatever it is. <laughs> Having such an addiction to drinking vinegar that your mum has to buy you your own bottle for the mm. house. I mean, it says something, doesn't it? How are your insides still alive? Yeah, exactly. Are we talking malt vinegar? Are we talking... I think we're talking non-brewed condiment if it's the north of England. I yeah, think it's chip yeah. shop, shitty, pissy vinegar. Yeah, lovely. Not for me. No, not for me either, but, um, you know, it it takes all sorts. Good luck to her. (laughs) Do you have any strange eating habits, any strange combinations of food that you think that works for me? It's a new thing. I I had a cocktail the other night 
I mean, this God. As I as I say this, I realise what I've become, which is what <laughs> everything I hate. You just had a caller on talking about eating regurgitated crisps. I found a cocktail with Blanc de Blanc, and <laughs> <laughs> it's a white velvet. It is one part Stella to I think one third or two thirds Blanc de Blanc with a tiny bit of salt. It shouldn't work. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever eaten. Uh, drunk. It was so good. You've changed. I have changed, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you heard them, but my uh, washing machine just finished. And the noise it makes, it makes a little song. It goes on for ages. So there'll be it, potentially in the background of the recording of this, a little ditty from my washing machine. <laughs> Time for a breather, please, actually, I think. But still to come, more wanking, oh, for God's sake. A gardening disaster, Clause 28, and the joy of crying. At Patreon, people, this week, we've got even more gorge content for you over there, including a call from Rosie, who's Gemma's little sister, who's just done a 12-hour shift in A&E and has got some tales to tell. Remember, for the price of a coffee, you can help us keep the lights on in the pub, patreon.com forward slash after the tone. Honestly, it really does help us keep this thing going. So if you can, you can. If you can't, we understand why. Uh, Please hit that subscribe button now whilst you're listening to this. Don't be ignorant. It doesn't suit you. And if you want more from the cult, remember we're on the internet like every other cunt at after the tone POD on the gram and on that Twitter malarkey. Josephine Lysit, are you having a nice time? I'm having one of the most illuminating, uh, brilliant times and also horrific times of my life. (laughs) And on that note, I think we should go back to the calls. Hi, Scotty, Deb, Tim Katmeyer, everybody else in the pub. I am a previous caller and the person that came from quite a poor background moved into a posh area and had a meltdown. Um, my amateur gardening story is about my new house. Inherited a beautiful garden, lots of roses, um, fruit bushes, trees, whatever. Um, the old lady was in the late 90s and apparently spent every day out there. It was her pride and joy. Um, another tie-in, we bought a house from a famous actress's auntie. I'm not going to say who because I don't want to accidentally dox myself on the internet. Um, anyway, I'm an enthusiastic but rubbish gardener. Spotted that the roses had loads of green fly all over them. So I did like a homemade concoction after a quick search on online. Completely messed the quantities up and killed all of the plants in the garden. The neighbours looked on disapprovingly, so my mission this year is to learn how to be a proper gardener. Another story as well for you on bisexuality. So I'm a child of the 80s, grew up entirely under section 28, cheers Maggie. I found myself attracted to women from a young age really, thought there was something terribly wrong with me. Continued just to date men, whatever, knowing deep down that there was something wrong, we didn't discuss Sexuality in my household, we weren't that that type. Um, didn't realise that you could be anything other than a straight person or a gay man until I was well into my mid-twenties. Took me years and years, loads of therapy to finally accept that I am bisexual. I told my male partner at the time, who then immediately went, with no joke, went immediately, can we have a threesome now then? I'm indifferent to the idea, but the point was that I was really vulnerable. I was sharing something that I'd never told anybody. And after that, I never told anybody else again. So I'm still very much closeted, I think. Um, It just made me sad that that legacy and that ridiculous policy has led to decades of very problematic issues for people. So yeah, fuck the Tories and fuck David Beckham. 
Oh, and I'll no doubt be calling again at some point. So instead of like mystery colour, my surname is Valentine. So we'll just go with that. Cheers. See you soon. Oh, gorgy Valentine. It's lovely to have you back in the room. <laughs> and what a thorough call. And actually, I think there's a lot there that you could respond to, Joe. I know. I don't really know where to start. The Section 28 thing is really interesting to me because it passed me by that I am also a child of that era and that for basically until I think Section 28 came out of law when I was 15, 16, Mm. but basically all of my education, that was the law. And I didn't realise that until I heard Sean Fay on a podcast and she was talking about how she was a child of the Section 28 and I looked at her age and she's exactly the same age as me. I was like, oh shit, okay. And um, it just explained so much to me. Suddenly everything sort of clicked about my issues with my identity, why I feel like so angry about it a lot of the time, why I sort of don't trust conservatives, I suppose, why I think so many of my friends at school who are now gay or LGBT would absolutely not at school and how long it took some of them to come to terms with that. The damage is kind of extraordinary, really. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, and it doesn't, when you put, look at it on paper, you sort of go, oh, well, it's only teachers can't talk about it. You know, everyone else can have a lovely time talking about it. But that permeates everything straight out the gate. It's like, wrong. No, uh, uh, we don't talk about that. And how yeah. awful that must have been for the teachers in that situation. So I was quite moved and cross by Valentine's call because, um, I think it's really brave of her to talk about it in such a way. I felt sad for her about the boyfriend's response, but also, you know, the boyfriend didn't have, you know, in that moment didn't have a lot of time to kind of process it. And, you know, he sounds like a fucking legend, just wants to smash a couple of pusses. What's wrong with that? So, um, you know, let's let's not throw him under the bus straight away. <laughs> Just on the on the clause twenty eight stuff and section twenty eight, I do just uh, want to reiterate that yes, you're right. You know, people often often Tories try to minimise it as this law that just prohibited teachers, but it prohibited much more. It created a fear against anybody who had a forward facing job or a job in which they were considered a civil servant or paid for by an NGO. And we also have to understand the context of which um, these teachers are working in. And when Section 28 was active, you know, it's a way more homophobic Britain than I guess maybe some of us can remember, because I think when I hear about kids, right, and I'm gonna, this is gonna sound awful, Joe, but when I hear about kids who are at school now and they've come out and they're like 13 or 14, I think to myself, God, isn't that lovely? And part of me thinks, oh, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. oh, how fucking dare you have that fucking joy? Yeah. Because <laughs> in our heads, because I, I think me, you, and Sean are of a similar age or the same age, we grew up with that fear that to be called, you know, a name, often, you know, pejorative names to do with, like, being gay because, mm. you know, when I was a kid, like, being bisexual was, like, akin to being a witch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were, like, yeah. the same the same thing. That, like, 
there was like such a fear that I had. And to see young people grow up now with less of that fear, not to say it's easier, but with less of that fear, it it gives me joy, but it also makes me kind of a little bit pissed off. Yeah, no, I I completely concur. Bethany Black talked about this uh, to me once, and I'll paraphrase this badly, but um, she's a brilliant trans comedian who I've worked with for most of my career. So I've known her about 15 years. And she talks about how like, the kind of the job is done when she's not required anymore as in like she like the work that she does is obsolete and that's a strange place to be like you know if queer rights suddenly were perfect all around the globe tomorrow i would basically have no identity <laughs> i'd just be like who am i fighting now then you know like i just like i'd, I'd have nothing but there's so many things that you could say that anyone who works at Macmillan, if they cured cancer, they'd have to go and find something else to do. You know, it's sort <laughs> of, it, there's so many things like that. Mm. So it is a strange one. And it is interesting how the progress that we've made, we also slightly resent in some ways as well. It's, it's you know, it's, mm. it's, but we, I think we were forced to become like this because it was either that or be humiliated and be treated like second class citizens and, how wonderful that people didn't do that and that fought back against it and that it is no longer law. But, yeah, extraordinary to discover it now, you know, that nobody told me, nobody said, oh, by the way, all the reasons, most, not all the reasons, but a lot of the reasons why you feel the way you feel is because of this law that was around. Like, no, I, I just wasn't aware of it. Yeah. So I didn't, maybe it was effective as well because it was hidden so the kids themselves couldn't make the decision about whether they wanted to but I do also feel like it's happening again because that's what they're doing with drag shows and Mm -hmm. with trans people they're going like yeah fine over there but not near children you know it's that it's like they use the children again as a thing it's always women and children isn't it it's always women and children it's like the only moment where um certain groups of people um and certain political types have any form of security around women and children i wanted to know wonder how much of that trauma of living under section 28 and living within a homophobic society where many of us use humor as a capital to survive how much of that has informed you know your job you being a funny person i have not analyzed it that closely but i do think it's uh, so much of what i've ended up doing is as a result of that and so in some ways i'm sort of weirdly grateful because if i'd just been straight or lived in a, a much more accepting culture i probably would have just been an accountant or something you know? <laughs> And actually, I've been allowed to be creative and, and my creativity is generally kind of encouraged and people like it. And that's that's a really special, lovely thing and a rare thing. I'm very aware of how spoiled I am, essentially. But it has come out of that sense of not belonging in the in the working world, in the real world, essentially. Mm. Yeah. It, it is what you're saying that when you've next got a tour and you've got to write a whole bunch of new material, would you like me to come to Birmingham and sort of homophobically abuse you for a while? Yeah, or just abuse me in any way, really. Just some sort of trauma would be really helpful, (laughs) thank you. But also not the sort of trauma that most people go through because you want it to be, like, I would say a a sort of trauma that less than a third of people have been through so that you can sort of feel special, but enough people that you can relate to about it. So you can get that BBC Three special. Exactly. You want to tick some boxes, but it can't be like, oh, he's the only person to have shat his arse out <laughs> whilst riding a motorcycle across... Solly Hall. Solly Hall, yeah. 
it needs to be a bit more kind of like relatable, I suppose. And just on the gardening tip there, the, the ruining of roses, have you done such a thing? Yeah, no, yeah, I'm sure I have. I've Basically, everything that survives has about 30 things that died near it or around it. Like, it's, it's very Darwinian the way I approach my gardening. If it lives, it lives. I got told off by Arthur Parkinson, who is a gardening expert, because I use, like, insect killer on the green fly. But that's because I tried everything else. He said, oh, just put some, like, I think washing up liquid in a, in, with some water and spray that. Didn't work. Somebody said, buy some ladybird larvae, because ladybirds love eating green flies, so they'll, they'll eat it all. Didn't work. So I just went down the home base and bought some heavy duty, fuck off, leave <laughs> my roses alone, bleach which apparently then gets into the ecosystem, but my roses are fucking stunning. (laughs) And on that note, let's move on. Hi, Scotty and team. So in response to the drag names thing, which I so enjoyed, oh my God, it was so lovely. Every time I'm on the circle line, I see the the place Thaden Boys, and I'm like, why is there not a drag king called Thaden? Thaden Boys. Like, it's just so perfect. It's too perfect. We need an East End drag king called Vaden Boys. Anyway, big love to everyone. Loving the episodes as ever. Have a great week. So this has been a running story for the last three or four weeks where people have been calling up with their favourite drag names. Mm. Now, I remember maybe about 10 years ago in Edinburgh that you (laughs) made me put some makeup on you because you were going to do like a work in progress sort of drag comedy night and you had a character, didn't you? Yes, I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, uh, was that when I was doing Nigella Farage? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Nigella Farage, who... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Who would do anti-EU jokes of the ilk of, like, knock-knock, who's there, half a billion European immigrants... (laughs) I'll do that joke and then do the next stage in the recipe for a goat massaman curry. <laughs> um, is Nigella having an outing soon? Will she come I back? I should bring her back, actually. Yeah, I love Nigella. For my new show, we've created a sort of... Uh, it's sort of drag kingy because I'm. it's me, but as like a as a right-wing commentator. The name we're going for is Richard Utree. Um <laughs> No, okay, nothing, great. nothing was proved. <laughs> um, so that'll be me, sort of in a sort of drag king space, I suppose. Can I, is it a drag king space? Can I do drag king? Can I be a drag king? Everyone can do drag, you know. And however you're identifying, the way that I see it is, it's up to you, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like you know, what presentation you want to show. But I mean, I do prefer the non-colonial sort of, you know. Drag witch, you know, mm. drag. Do I, I don't think I like drag person. I mean, I think it's all just drag, isn't it? It's all just drag, yeah. It's all just drag, uh, unless you're near children and you mustn't do it. <laughs> no drag well, near children. Supposedly, drag stands for, and this has been argued to the upteenth something or other by history people like Lucy Worsley. I'm low key obsessed with Lucy Worsley and her 
clip that she wears in her hair. Yeah. This is by the by. Um, that <laughs> drag stands for dressed as a girl. Yes. And drab yes. is dressed as a boy. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, have you got any other drag names that you'd like to bring to the table? Yes. Uh, Greta Fatberg, I really like. <laughs> Greta Fat Bird. Fat <laughs> I'd Bird. Get that gig. Oh, Fat Bird. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, you know, it's yours if you want it. I imagined Greta Fatberg was a sort of. She's down in a sewer, northern, because all of my drag ideas are northern. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, she's sort of com- <laughs> complaining about the environment. And there's also, she's chucking around a Twix or something. I, don't, I can't remember what it was. There was something about it. Yeah, I think it needs a bit of work. It does need work. It does need work, yeah. I did have a list of them. I had loads of drag names that I'd... Um... Oh, um, Elaine Closure. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Which <Yes>. is just... <laughs> Whatever she's doing, she's doing it on Zoom from a services on the M6 because she couldn't get to the gig. So it's it's a lone closure. I love the fact that, see, most people just come here with a name, but you come here with a name, an aesthetic, what they're doing, what yeah. the act is. Is that yeah, always yeah. how your brain works when you're, like, making something? Like, you build the whole picture? Yeah, well, you can't just, you can't say Greta Fatberg and then go, well, that's done. I mean, have you seen half of the contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race? I know, I know, yeah, yeah. I always do think it's really disappointing when they don't have a pun name as well. <laughs> when it's yes. just, like... I'm the coffee cup. (laughs) (laughs) What would your abstract name be then? It would be Mummy, wouldn't it, I suppose? (laughs) Yes, it would be. Where does Mummy come from? I don't really know. My friends started calling me Mummy and I started calling them Mummy. And then it started to slightly slip into my Instagram captions. I'd start describing myself as Mummy. And I I was asked about, you know, why do you call yourself Mummy? And I, in quite an aggressive way... And I said that mummy isn't my name, it's my pronoun. So <laughs> mummy is my pronoun and my name is Joe Lysis, I think. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm glad I asked. Right, next call, please. Hiya, Scotty and all the ATT crew. Uh, Saoirse here. And I'm just calling in because I saw you calling out for some messages because Joe Lysis is going to be joining you. And... One of the topics you mentioned you wanted to people to talk about was bisexuality. I've called in about bisexuality before, and I wanted to start off by saying thank you to Joe Lysett for making such an incredible stand-up show. I went to see it on By Visibility Day, and it was just so beautiful. It made me cry. And I wanted to call in because I've been thinking a lot about queerness and softness and crying <laughs> at stuff. And thinking back to like when I was a bit younger, I kind of used to pride myself on the fact that I like, oh, I don't really cry at sad films. I'm not really like a soppy emotional person. Isn't that like such a great thing? Blah, 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 all that nonsense. And I've just been thinking about how as I've got a bit older and a bit more in touch with my own queerness and my own sexuality, how I've kind of also got a lot more in touch with my emotions and being much more like, open to just crying at stuff whether it's happy stuff or sad stuff or beautiful stuff love to put on a bit of pottery throwdown and just like cry along with the the guy on that show who loves to cry at pots so yeah I just wanted to open up a bit of a conversation about the joy of 
crying and being in touch with softness and getting rid of that weird toxic masculinity. Is anyone else feeling like as they've got older, they've got more in touch with their emotions and more proud of them as well? Love that, Sersha. Love that. Do you know what? I find so beautiful to watch and particularly within like people that I meet is for bisexual people and pansexual people you really mean a lot to people your visibility your work you are like an icon I guess because there's been so much invisibility for a long time and I wonder like Joe, how does that make you feel being kind of heralded in that way or hearing people say like you've had a, a huge effect on me and how I feel about myself. I suppose not to be um, disrespectful, I suppose, but I sort of, I don't entirely buy it. And I think that's just a sort of protective thing that like, I think if I did buy it, I'd get, I'd be unbearable. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I sort of, I'm very grateful for it. But I also think like, there are a lot of really good kind of openly bi people. And I'm just one of a few people. And I just, because I'm a talker, I talk about it, I suppose. But I don't think I've done anything particularly remarkable in that space. I've just, I've been honest, I suppose, is all, is the only thing I've done. But it is lovely to, that message was lovely. And, and I find that really interesting as well about the crying thing, because it's something that I spent a lot of time thinking about as well, because the show that, I think Sasha's referring to is a show that I did last year on tour and wrote with the intention of it being funny and it ended up being sort of moving completely by accident really it wasn't meant to be a kind of moving piece and I at the end of the first preview I wept like I was on stage and I was and I, I surprised myself with it I was so moved and I was and I'd never I don't think I'd ever done that on stage before I'd never cried on stage in front of an audience and I was so caught off guard by it and then went into the shows started crying on a lot of them and then as this tour went on some nights I didn't some nights I did I made a kind of pact with myself that I wouldn't James Corden it and pretend you know what I mean I was like I'm if it's real to me and I want to cry I'll cry but if I don't I won't and I would say maybe two-thirds of the time I cried and um it was strange because it yeah it's there's a sort of vulnerability to it and some people didn't believe it I remember someone saying like did you actually cry you know like the people sort of thought mm. that it was sort of affected and, and what that means about crying, that like they, they sort of almost thought that it was a device to make other people cry. or And I still haven't really worked out what my thoughts are on it, but I really like what she was saying about how it's allowing yourself to be softer and allowing yourself to be uh, vulnerable on stage, I suppose, and or vulnerable in general. And I am I'm much more, I think this is since my friend David died, I'm much more, um, much happier because I just cried in front of everyone loads much happier to cry and find it really cathartic and all the things that it, it is, you know, all the ways that it's useful. But then I find that interesting because if you, the author of that work, who had been sat with that work for such a long time, rehearsing it, edited it, thinking about it, chewing that over in your brain, that when you stand that up and that, that has that effect on you uh, repeatedly... If we transpose that to how other people then are viewing that, that show and seeing that show, of course they're going to be moved by it. Of course there's going to be that power. But I find that interesting that, like, because I, I can also relate to that when people come to see my work and they think, you know, oh, I haven't seen or heard this or this visibility is really useful. There's part of me which thinks, 
I mean, yeah, fine. You know, I, I, I understand that. Yeah. But I, I think we do have to let in the fact that I think after the tone has really taught me to try and be more generous with letting in that thanks or letting in that appreciation. Yeah. Because yeah. part of it does make me a bit cringe. But then when I meet ATT people in the street or they come to one of the live shows and I see that they are genuinely off their rocker, I think, God, yeah, of course this means a lot to you because you're surrounded by other people who we're kind of constantly told, don't admit these things, these sort of feelings. Yeah, I think that's it, is that I'm sort of... Another way that I'm spoiled is that I have now around me people that accept me and also accept queer culture. So it's not I'm not challenged on it in the way that I used to be because I just got rid of those toxic people, bitch. And, you know, I forget that the people coming up to me are saying, oh, thanks, because I'm one of the few people that they see in public life who are talking about it, I suppose. But I just, it, it, I take it for granted because all the people around me accept me because if they didn't, I wouldn't hang out with them anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of very, it's quite a simple thing, really. Yes, that's so interesting. So because we live our queer lives to the extent that we can and that we want within our spaces and we curate these spaces, I guess, yeah, you're right. We can delude ourselves maybe a touch that, you know, other people's cultures and other people's ecosystems look similarly. But, you know, we, Jimmy, who lives in Inverness, you know, maybe your Instagram is that one outlet for them to feel like it is possible. Yeah. I'm so grateful also that those are my people because... Often, you know, when I'm doing something publicly or I put a tweet out or whatever, I'll get somebody with a football player or shirt as their profile picture telling me that I'm shit or I'm not funny or this is what comedy is these days. And I think they're just angry and just having a go at me. But there's sometimes there's that sort of presumption that, like, if they're not finding it funny, then it's worthless and what's mm. the point of it? And actually, I'm so glad they're not finding it funny and I'm so glad they're not coming to the show because I've got... My audiences, by and large, are so lovely. It's such a lovely environment to work in. And that sort of happened by accident. And the people that have found me seem to be, like, nice, cuddly people. A lot of blue-haired people in my audience. (laughs) Um, um, And I don't want them there. They would spoil it. It would be a shame to have them there. So... I'm delighted to hear from Sersha. And there's a thing that I do, which is when people are applauding me or saying nice things to me, I say, bless you. I've got into the habit of going, oh, thank you, bless you. And and, um, at the end of my special, when we filmed it, I just said, bless you, loads. And my friend Dan, who edited it, he just did a super cut of me saying, bless you, and putting people sneezing over, <laughs> over, the, over the thing. So it's just loads of sneezing and me going, bless you. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. It's so good. <laughs> I get very awkward around uh, people praising me in that way. Mm. I, I, find, I find it, um, I don't know what to do with it. Mm. Uh, I suppose it's too much, really. I find it a bit overwhelming. It is, um, but I'm learning to say thank you. I think. Yes. So, Sersha, thank you. There we go. I think we might be on our final call. Hi, Scotty. It's Toby. I want to tell you a little story about how having a wank got me a sponsorship deal and paid work. So, back in 2005, I started podcasting prior to iTunes and Spotify and all that kind of stuff. So, I got to episode 60 of my podcast at the time. And I thought, you know what this podcast episode needs to be? I'm just going to have a wank. 
I'm just going to turn it into some audio porn that people can listen to. And so I did. And uh, it got a lot of downloads, like a lot of attention. People were talking about it. People were also kind of talking about it on their podcasts. My hits and stuff were insane. And it was around this time <laughs> that I went to a podcast convention. There was the guy that basically invented podcasting there who also owned a pod show called Adam Curry. And I decided to go over and uh, drunkenly interview Adam Curry in a Yates pub. Um, following that, I had them reach out to me and ask me, oh, what are your stats, basically? And I was able to show them how I performed recently, which they were really impressed with. And based on that, they signed me to their network. And I was with them for six years, earning quite a decent amount of money. But yeah, if I hadn't have had a wank on a podcast, I probably wouldn't have scored that. <laughs> Thanks, Scotty. Bye. What a beautiful story. <laughs> very wholesome around these parts, actually. I'm going to start it. crying again. <laughs> very, Bless you. very moving. Bless very you. moving. <laughs> Have you ever done volleyball on a podcast before? <laughs> no, I haven't. No. Now's your chance, love. You treat yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get those hits up, Scotty. I don't mind if in the promotional uh, material for this, you say I have a wank on the podcast. I really don't mind. Fine. Okay. That We've done a lot on edging and whatever, you know, so please. Um, don't you know. like it has a wank on after the tone. Yeah. <laughs> I could sort of predict what the noise would be while I'm wanking. Yes. And um, what utensils will you be using for this performance? Oh, uh, we're doing it raw, baby. <laughs> Am I doing it raw? I'm looking around me to see. The only thing I can see is the cat, and that's not... I'm not going to do anything with the cat. Um, okay, here we go. <laughs> Sorry, the cat started licking its arse. <laughs> Pavlovian response. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, the cat got very confused by that. <laughs> hasn't put the leg down to get rid of its arsehole. You go, you carry on, Winston. You do what you like, mate. I've, I've just newly become a cat mum. And honestly, these oh. two beautiful, gorgeous creatures can create the most vile, hideous smells yeah. in the world. Yeah. Pissing and shitting up against everything. But then yeah. nobody told me that they then rim themselves to clean themselves. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? What an extraordinary <laughs> skill. <laughs> if you could, would you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Um, my friend Matt said to me once that, like, when you've had a curry, and I'm a big fan of a curry, you can sort of tell which dish is coming out when. You know, like, oh, yeah, that's the samosa. <laughs> so I think I would avoid it just based on my diet. I think I'd be... Well, Joe, on that note, I think that's your, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's your lot. Yeah. So to paraphrase, what have we learnt today? Well, I've learnt to never eat crisps with anyone in the north. <laughs> um, that it's okay to cry. Mm. And that wanking on a podcast can make you rich. <laughs> Do you know what? I was a bit worried about inviting you in here because I thought, 
Well, this could go two ways. <laughs> but I think the queens have come up trumps today, so I want to give them a round of applause. Yes. Uh, round of applause, please, Joe Lurston. Um, thank you. I think you've done the gaff proud. Um, remember to hit that follow button and tell a friend because, you know, we're up against those bastards from Made in Chelsea. So, you know, do a council girl a favour, if only to piss off the posh people of podcast land. So uh, that's it. Joe. Is, is there anything else you would like to say? Any final thoughts? Uh, no, no. Just um, please be safe and don't lick your arsehole. <laughs> and on that note, from me, from Joe, the ATT crew, <laughs> we'll see you in a bit. <laughs> After the Tone is produced by Debbie Kilbride, Vice Producer Tim Bano, Assistant Producer Maya Miller-Lewis. ATT is a Debbie production. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.